DiscerningHearts.com presents Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is a popular author working in the area of church history, especially patristics, the study of the early church fathers. He's the executive vice president and trustee of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, a Roman Catholic research center based in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a contributing editor of Angelus Magazine and general editor of the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Press. He is the author or editor of more than 50 books, including Villains of the Early Church, the book on which this series is based. He has hosted 11 television series on the Eternal Word Television Network and is a frequent guest commentator on Catholic Radio. Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back, Chris. What is the deal with Nestorius? <laughs> Nestorius is one of my favorite characters from antiquity. He's just so rich. And and I'm I'm sorry to say this, but he in my opinion, he's such a comic figure. And the the story is like something out of Flannery O'Connor or William Faulkner. It's grotesque. It really is. I mean, it's it's eye popping. His life. Yes. I mean, when you read it, and unfortunately, he is one of the villains of the early church. <laughs> unfortunately, yes, because he had such a promising beginning. He was a monk in a monastery in Syria, and he was renowned for his learning there. And I, I suspect he did okay in his monastery because he was always the smartest one in the room. Mm. And so he was always looked up to, and he could always hold forth. And people would take his opinions to be truth. The other advantage he had in being in a monastery is that he was rarely, if ever, around women because he seemed to find women extremely distasteful. Now, all of these things that really made him thrive in a monastery, all of these conditions really worked against him once he got outside the monastery because they, they were not there outside the monastery. Once he got to the capital city of the empire, things began to fall apart for him very quickly. And I think it's because of these character flaws that were not addressed when he was a young monk. I just have to say as a caveat, I know very many monks in monasteries today, and they are very healthy communities. <laughs> of course. Yes. Of course. There are healthy individuals, healthy communities. And in the time of Nestorius, there were many healthy monks mm -hmm. in many healthy communities. Remember, Nestorius is living shortly after the time of St. John Chrysostom, who had been a monk and became a great bishop of Constantinople. We have kind of a special case in Nestorius of a man who got a job he was really, really not prepared for. Well, you know, all roads lead to Rome, but in this particular period, it all seems to lead to Constantinople. Right, because that was the new center of power. It was a new imperial center. And so it's the job that a lot of people wanted. You could live a, a good life there. You could have a lot of influence, uh, especially in the Eastern churches. You could exercise authority over them, and you could kind of steer things in the direction you thought the church needed. And so I'm sure that Nestorius was eager to do all of those things, and he wanted to do good things. He was just confused on some matters, and he had a few personality quirks that only contributed to the confusion. Um, 
quirks. <laughs> <laughs> that, there we go. Mike Aquilina's nice guy description of, we'll call them quirks. Yeah, well, you remember remember Felix Unger on The Odd Couple, mm-hmm. the guy who was who was so obsessive and fussy to an extreme degree, insisted that everything had to be just so, and would constantly correct you, and would constantly redo whatever you had done, and was precise, insisted upon precision in all verbal matters. Well, Nestorius was kind of the Felix Unger of antiquity, mm. you know. He had these strong opinions about how language should be used. And one of his very strong prejudices was against the, the term Theotokos, God-bearer, mother of God. This drove him batty. You, you can almost see across the centuries, across the millennium and a half, you can almost see him cringing as he heard people reciting that term in prayers, the traditional prayers of the church, and singing it in hymns and offering it in their private devotions. It just drove him batty. He had an allergy to the term. Why? Because he said it's illogical. You know, a mother must precede her child in time. God has no precedent. God, no one precedes God. And so we cannot say We cannot refer to anyone as mother of God. And so he kind of requested and then insisted that people stop using the term mother of God in their prayers and devotions. And he said they should call Mary mother of Christ instead or mother of Jesus. And he was okay with those terms. Now, people had a visceral reaction against this. They really disliked this. Why? Because these were the prayers that their grandparents had taught them and their parents had taught them and that their grandparents had learned from their grandparents. So these were prayers that had gone back centuries and centuries and were only living in the fifth century here. So they had they had kind of a, uh, just this visceral reaction against that. The other thing is that it didn't make sense to them, you know. We can say that Mary did not precede God, but we cannot deny that she mothered God because Jesus is God. She mothered Jesus, who is God. So she's the mother of God. So he got a lot of pushback from the common people. He also got a lot of pushback from the sister of the emperor, who was a consecrated virgin and who had a lot of influence in the city and in the church. She was much beloved. Well, he did not like the idea of women having any influence in the church at all, and so he started to restrict her participation in the liturgy. He started to move her away from the center of attention. Now, the people didn't like this. She didn't like this, and you can be sure that the emperor did not like this. So Nestorius, from very early on, made a lot of enemies among the people, but also made some enemies in high places. Yeah, I mean, just keeping her perspective, I mean, she wasn't advocating that women be priests. I mean, she was no. she was praying Vespers, which is the resuscitation of the Psalms. I mean, this That's is, right. I mean, I, the reason he, he bothers me is because he seems to have women issues. Uh, he does seem to have women issues. And, and I believe that that affects his doctrine of Mary, his Mariology. He really had 
just this desire to keep her in check, uh, a desire to move women from all positions of prestige, esteem, or any semblance of authority in the church. Now, if you have ever belonged to a Catholic parish, no matter what century you lived in, you know that women really do run the church. They <laughs> run it at the parish level. You uh, know this, Chris. That's true. I'm yeah. going to say it's true. <laughs> women really run the church day to day. Everybody in the clergy knows this. Nestorius somehow missed that lesson when he was in seminary, okay? He did not get this. And so he really did try to change things from the way they had been traditionally. Not only the way people talked traditionally, but the way the church ran traditionally. He tried to make these big changes. And again, people pushed back against it. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about the boorishness of the crowd and the way the crowds respond to these challenges to Orthodox Christianity. And really, the crowd did respond to Nestorius in the way it responded to Julian the Apostate, the emperor who had left Christianity behind. They mocked Nestorius. They started to make up songs that played upon his verbal quirks and his fussiness, because Nestorius would always say, well, technically, you shouldn't say that she's mother of God. So they would make up these songs that mocked Nestorius, and the songs used the word technically <laughs> all the time. Mm. So um, they really pushed back hard. But they weren't the only ones. You know, the other bishops in the church were beginning to notice that something was awry in Constantinople, that this doctrine that they were hearing about coming from you know, the, the bishop there was not a healthy doctrine, was not orthodox, was not sound. And so they opposed it. And, and there was pushback from the bishop of Rome, the pope, but also the bishop of Alexandria, Cyril, one of the great, the, the great men of antiquity. So he pushed back, he fought back, and the emperor realized that he could not have these great churchmen battling against each other. So he called a council to meet in Ephesus, the great Marian city, where Our Lady, according to tradition, had gone to live in her later years. He called a council to meet there in Ephesus and decide the question of whether Mary should be called Mother of God. It was not simply a question about Mary. It was a question about Jesus and who he was and what he was. Because if you say that Mary did not mother God, then you're saying that Jesus was not exactly God, all right? Because she clearly mothered Jesus. Cyril was trying to bring this out and show people that this was a threat to sound doctrine about who Jesus was and what Jesus was. Yeah, it, it's so important for us to have an appreciation of that because it cuts at the heart of who we are fundamentally and how we respond in service to God. It's all tied together. And what he was doing by pushing out, he was limiting, wasn't he? Uh, yes. There are good reasons why God inspired the scriptures the way he did. There are good reasons why the life of Jesus in St. Luke's gospel begins with the story of Mary. There are good reasons 
why the life of Jesus and say or the ministry of Jesus in St. John's Gospel begins with the intervention of Mary. There are good reasons why Mary was given to us from the, from the cross in the person of the beloved disciple, that he was called to receive her into his home. Mary is so important to our understanding of Jesus, who he is and what he is. And once you start to tinker with your doctrine of Mary, it's going to have consequences for your doctrine of Jesus. And that's what Cyril saw so clearly and why he opposed this so forcefully. Now, it's, it's good that he, he opposed it successfully. It wasn't a done deal. It wasn't a, a slam dunk because Nestorius had a lot of allies among the bishops who were going to meet there in Ephesus. And so uh, Cyril had to do a lot of politicking. He had to do a lot of tactical maneuvering, and he did. He was a very shrewd churchman, and he managed to bring people around to see his argument. And, of course, the Council of Ephesus decided in the end that Mary was indeed the mother of God and that the language, the traditional language of Marian piety, which had been in place, firmly in place, going back for centuries, should be kept. What's beautiful about the account of the Council of Ephesus is that the people of the city were thronged outside the place where the council fathers were meeting. They were waiting upon the decision of the council because they loved Our Lady so much. And when the council made its decision and came out and announced it to the crowd, the crowd took the bishops up on their shoulders and carried them through the streets in torchlight procession, singing Marian hymns. The ancient equivalents of our Immaculate Mary, Hail Holy Queen, they sang these ancient equivalents as they took the bishops through the streets in torchlight procession. It, w it must have been something to see. It's something that we can still imagine vividly after all these centuries because the historians preserved it for us. Nestorius, for his part, was exiled and excommunicated. He went out beyond the lands of the, the empire to a place where he could enjoy the protection of the Persians, and there he established his own church, uh, which still exists today, actually. Interesting. We'll return to the villains of the early church and how they made us better Christians with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. From a letter from St. Paul to the Ephesians, Chapter 6. Be strengthened in the Lord in the might of his power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers, 
against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness on high. Therefore, take up the armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil every day and stand in all things perfect. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of justice and having your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace, in all things taking up the shield of faith, with which you may be able to quench all fiery darts of the most wicked one. And take for yourself the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. With all prayer and supplication, pray at all times in the Spirit, and be vigilant in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. The St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is a nonprofit research and educational institute that promotes life-transforming scripture study in the Catholic tradition. Founded by Dr. Scott Hahn and with current Vice President Mike Aquilina, the center serves clergy and laity, students and scholars with research and study tools from books and publications to multimedia and online programming. The St. Paul Center welcomes you to their free online studies. Whether you're studying scripture for the first time, looking to take your studies to a higher level, or whether you're ready for advanced training, you've come to the right place. In addition, for each track of study, they recommend books that will enhance your study in prayer and build your library of essential works in biblical theology and spirituality. The studies are free. Just visit SalvationHistory.com to view a complete library. We now return to The Villains of the Early Church, 
and how they made us better Christians with Mike Aquilina. You have talked about throughout this entire series, Mike, where God would allow this to happen because it came about a greater good, a greater, deeper understanding. And we see that very often throughout the entire life of the church, where there are a lot of bad teaching, uh, misunderstandings, need for clarification. The church comes together, and all that stuff is flushed out. And that's a good thing, right? It is. It is. And, you know, you, want, you don't want to give uh, the wrong impression. I mean, we tell these stories, and it takes us 10, 20, 30 minutes at the most to tell the story. But we have to understand that for many people, this was an ordeal that they endured for many years. And in our lifetime, we may have to endure some of these trials over the course of decades. We may not live to see their resolution. When the church was threatened by ancient villains, sometimes those threats lasted for centuries. Mm -hmm. They had to be endured. They had to be fought. And the people had to be steadfast. They had to have the endurance that comes with persevering prayer. They had to have a sustained and disciplined life of personal and liturgical prayer. We need that too, because we do not know what we might have to endure in our own times. There are villains alive today. They wish the demise of the church. They wish our demise. They wish we would be less devout than we are. They wish we would be less influential than we are. They're going to try to take us down. We have to be ready with all the tools that Christianity places at our disposal, all the tools that grace gives us. Yeah, I think that is a great rallying cry. And, and also, too, Mike, what you've done throughout this entire series is you helped us to see these as persons. Not necessarily, I think in the very beginning episodes, you know, that those guys with the, the sinister black hats and the curly black <laughs> mustaches and all this, but people who have, because of circumstances in their lives and whatever what happened to them and, and then the choices that they made, unfortunate though they may be, they're persons. And like Nestorius, who knows, there might, it sounds like there is some, uh, some major personality quirks and issues and who knows how, what got them there. They sincerely believe they're right. So how do you respond? Do you take a club or do you challenge them in love? Uh, yes, yes. And, and, we, and we, we have to learn from this, that the camera is always on us, that people are always watching us. Our children are always watching us and taking careful note of our behavior. Our example really does so much to evangelize or to disevangelize the people who are around us. St. Jerome had a great line, you know, back in the 5th century where he said that our houses are set upon a watchtower and our life sets the limits for others of their self-control. People are watching us and whatever they know of Christianity is just what they see in us if they know that we're Christians. So they're going to judge Christianity based on our behavior. We have to be aware of that and we have to desire to give good example with everything we do. We're never going to get there if we don't strive to be saints and make that striving part of our every day. We have to have a plan for it, a plan that we're working out with God's grace, because sainthood is a gift. It's a grace. It's not something that we achieve on our own steam, but 
we have to correspond to that gift. We have to accept it when God extends his hand to us. He's not going to force our will. He's not going to coerce us to be saints, but he's going to, to hand it to us if we ask him for it. And we're going to have to accept the gift with all it entails. Yeah, it, you can compel people with a gun or a sword, but the only way you can really convert them is with love. I, right. know, I know that sounds Pollyanna, but I no. that's the, the, the Christian uh, marching orders, isn't it? It's saints who change others. It's saints who change the world for the better. We saw this in the case of every villain. The, the saints tried their best to change the villains. They did not always succeed. They did often succeed in changing the villain's followers. And that should hearten us. That should encourage us. And they did always succeed in bringing an end to the villainy eventually. And that also should encourage us and give us strength to keep going back to God asking for the gifts that we need to oppose the things that are damaging the witness of the church today and stand up for right in our own times. Mm, yeah, stand up. Yes, just stand and put on the armor, all that armor in Ephesians chapter 6. <laughs> yes. Mike, any final thoughts as we close this particular series? Uh, the, the only tragedy in life is not to be a saint. Mm. And we don't want to die a tragic death. We want our death to be like the deaths of the saints, where they're looked at as the ultimate triumph. That's how we want to go. We want to be able to die the way the saints died. So we got to be able to live like the saints lived. God wants us to live that way. We just have to be faithful to what God wants. Amen. Hallelujah. And thank you so much, Mike Aquilina. Thanks again for the invitation, Chris. Anytime you want me, just call. You've been listening to Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. <laughs>